Attention. This podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. From out of the darkness, you hear voices that send shivers down your spine. That feeling of dread is undeniable when you notice the monster under the bed is trembling. The aliens are scrambling to get back to the mothership, and the vampires are refusing to rise. Your reptilian overlords are pleased to force on you two humans they swear are not their captives. Your hosts, Michael and Wendy. This is eerie and absurd. That little point means we're live. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. I was like, three, two, one, and then I pointed at you. Okay. I thought you were just pointing to be rude. What about that? Oh, okay. Yeah, middle fingers. That's a middle finger point. I mean, it's time to go. I got two of those for you. Oh. (laughs) Welcome back to Eerie and Absurd. I am Wendy. And I'm Mike. So this is going to be our first segment on Missing Mondays. We're going to focus more in depth on individuals later on. Starting on our next episode. Yes. We'll go more in depth on specific individuals. For this one, we're going to be just giving definitions and some resources that you can look into to look for some of these missing people or see if you know anything that may help the cases. Today's episode, we're going to talk about unidentified individuals. Unidentified individuals. Found in Tennessee. What is the definition of a missing person? Well, according to the ACPO, which is also the Association of Chief Police Officers, a missing person is defined as anyone whose whereabouts is unknown, whatever the circumstances of disappearance, they will be considered missing until located and their well-being or otherwise is established. Information found on the Quad Cities Missing Persons Network website states that missing persons can be categorized in one of the following groups. A lost person, that is a person who is temporarily disoriented and would wish to be found. For example, someone who's gone walking and doesn't know where they are. They're they're just lost. They've just kind of forgot. A missing person who has voluntarily gone missing. This is someone who has control over their actions and has decided a course of action. The third is a missing person under the influence of a third party. So this is someone who's gone missing against their will. From these categories, missing persons can be simplified into two types, adults and children. So missing adults are defined as a person that is 18 years of age or older, who has disappeared. An adult may disappear for different reasonings. Some of these reasonings include abduction, either by being abducted or the abductors on the run, foul play, physical or developmental disability, domestic violence, either to escape the abuse or the abuser is on the run, mental illness, dementia, becoming the victim of a crime such as murder where the body has been disguised, destroyed, or hidden, human trafficking, Death by natural cause or due to an accident, so no identification on the person who may be far from home, and leaving to start a new life under a new name. This is nowhere near the extent of the list. There are many reasons for an adult to go missing or decide to go missing. Now, children, a missing child is considered a person that is less than 18 years of age who has disappeared and whose whereabouts are unknown to the child's legal custodian. Depending on the age of the child, They can be considered to have left voluntarily or involuntarily. Both options usually have the caveat that the child left without the custodian's consent. Some of the reasons behind a child going missing include 
abduction by a parent due to the courts awarding custody to another individual, abduction by a stranger, or running away. What happens when a person goes missing? Well, usually someone calls the police, provides them with the missing person's identifiable information and their last known whereabouts. True. Then a manhunt ensues, and then they find them, and everything's fine. Mm-mm. No. If only. <laughs> Unfortunately, we are not in a movie, and a lot of missing person cases get shelved once they go cold. Does that mean the case is closed? Yes. No. Not necessarily. <laughs> it just means the police have exhausted all of their leads and resources, and they're just kind of stuck. They've taken it as far as they can go, and now there's nothing else to show. And so they're just kind of waiting. And it's very frustrating for the police. It's extremely and utterly frustrating for families and friends because... Yeah, they want somebody to just do something. Yes. And there's just no more de- no more evidence or... Exactly. Or and they too much have, time has passed. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, they can only do what they can do. You can only follow the evidence to where it's going to take you. So there are some things that family and friends can do in addition to police work to not hinder an investigation. There are other avenues that family or friends can pursue to help in locating a missing person. Word of mouth, missing person flyers, calling the news outlet to get wider coverage, especially locally if you can get the news to pick it up, going door to door in some locations and speaking with your neighbors. You'd be surprised what nosy Nelly down the road probably saw. There are multiple social media options that can help with quickly pushing out the information that someone is missing. You can push out pictures really quickly, as well as last known whereabouts. You'd be surprised. Who knows? Hey, I saw that person. I saw that girl. I saw that guy. I saw Especially them. Especially nowadays, yeah, with the social media and everyone. Yeah, you'd be surprised what you have a picture of. Mm-hmm. And it'd be a person. You could see them in there. One option that has proven to be effective in finding missing and a unidentified persons is the National Missing and Unidentified Person System, also known as NamUs. NamUs is a national clearinghouse and resource center for missing, unidentified, and unclaimed person cases throughout the United States. Funded and administered by the National Institute of Justice through an agreement with the University of North Texas Health Science Center's Center for Human Identification, all NamUs resources are provided to law enforcement medical examiners, coroners, allied forensic professionals, and family members of missing persons. So, Michael, do you know who is required to use this database? I do, actually, because you wrote it down for me. Currently, only nine states have passed legislation that requires law enforcement to enter missing and unidentified persons' information into the NamUs database. Do you know those states? I do. New York, Illinois, Michigan, Arkansas... West Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Oklahoma, and New Mexico. Nice. Mm -hmm. I feel, and I'm sure a lot of people feel, that every state should be required to put this information into NamUs. It does take a minute to start a profile, but the police don't actually have to retain it. A family member can be in charge of the profile and update information. According to the NamUs database, currently there are 595 missing persons and 127 unidentified person cases in the state of Tennessee. Out of the 127 that are unidentified, 11 are children between the ages of 10 and 17. Those are the cases we are discussing today. The following information can be found on NamUs, the Doe Network, and Middle Tennessee Mysteries. Case number one, Jane Doe, 1975. On Valentine's Day, 1975, two hunters stumbled across the skeletal remains of a black female 
and the skeletal remains of a puppy in the woods off Joe Brown Road in Maury County, Tennessee. A forensic examination found the victim died six to nine months before discovery, likely the late summer or fall of 1974. Cause of death was not determined, but she may have been hit by a car or had been in a wreck. She had fresh fractures to the pelvic bone and both sides of her ribs. Previous injuries to the ribs were recorded. She had no cavities, restorations, or signs of decay to her teeth, but she did have an extra tooth on the upper right side of her jaw. She was aged 15 to 25 years old and was estimated to stand around 5'3 to 5'5 and weigh 127 to 137 pounds. In addition to the remains of the puppy, they also found a red shell blouse, flowered blue slacks, a bra, underwear, and black Italian-made wedge shoes. The closest she came to being identified was in 2012 when a facial reconstruction was released and a man contacted investigators to say the victim resembled a childhood friend. However, the callback number he provided was invalid. Anyone with information is asked to call the Maury County Sheriff's Office at 931-388-5151 or University of Tennessee at 865-974-4408. Case number two. Jane Doe, 1976. On March 24, 1976, a fisherman found the body of a teenage girl wearing only a white bra and jeans in the Harpeth River in Davidson County. She had been dead less than 24 hours. When she was found, she was topless and was wearing a choker-style necklace with beads and a white dove. She also had a picture of a young boy in her back pocket with the name Little Charlie and a phone number written on the back of it. When investigators called the number, they found Charles Little Charlie Moore on the other end of the line. Little Charlie, who was not the boy in the picture, lived in East Nashville, said he and his brother-in-law picked up the girl while she was hitchhiking. Calling her Cheryl or Sherry, Little Charlie said she was traveling with another teenage girl who was described as thin, with sandy blonde hair and wire-rimmed glasses. Nine days before she was found, the men had picked up the teens as they walked along Interstate 24 near Nashville. They were on the way to Florida from a rehab facility in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Sherry or Cheryl had been treated for alcoholism, and the other teen stated she had tried to commit suicide. Little Charlie said he had left the teens about 85 miles southeast of Nashville, which would place them near Winchester, and saw them get into another vehicle that continued toward Chattanooga. An autopsy determined that she had drowned and had bruising on her chest and legs. She had black hair, brown eyes, and an olive complexion. She was between 14 and 17 years old, stood 5 foot 2, and weighed 120 to 130 pounds. Her race was indeterminate, but she has been described as white, Hispanic, or Native American. For any distinguishing features, she had two surgical scars on her abdomen and old scars on both arms that may have been cigarette burns. She did have a mole near her left eye and had a large build. Anyone with information is asked to call the Metro Nashville Police Department Cold Case Unit at 615-880-2928. Case number three, Jane Pegram Doe, 1981. On October 21st of 1981, the partial remains of a teenage girl were found by two hunters near the Cheatham County landfill near Pegram. Investigators only found some hair along with her skull, pelvis, and a few other bones, including her femur bones that had been sawed off just above the knee. Dr. William Bass from the University of Tennessee Forensic Anthropology Center was called in to help. 
Bass estimated the remains were from a 15 to 20 year old white girl with brown hair. She had died sometime between January and August of 1981, but insect activity suggested it could have been between May and July. Because of the limited evidence, her height and weight are undetermined, but she did receive dental care in the past and had at least two cavities filled. According to the National Crime Information Center, she is believed to have been a hitchhiker, mainly because no missing persons reports matched her description were located in the state. Chemical isotope testing indicated the female was not native to Tennessee and had not spent a significant amount of time in the state. She most likely was born in southern Florida or central Texas and later spent several years before her death in the Midwest. Anyone with information is asked to call the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation at 1-800-TBI-FIND or Forensic Anthropology Center, University of Knoxville at 865-974-4408. Case 4, John Doe, 1983. On August 26, 1983, a farmer found the body of an unidentified black male off Sycamore Lane in the Pleasant Hill community near Crossville, Tennessee. Investigators believe he had been dead for about a week and was partially decomposed. His cause of death is probable stabbing. He had several fillings and a small gap between his front teeth. He is believed to be between 17 and 25 years old with black hair and brown eyes. His estimated height is 5'8 and his weight around 160 to 170. He was wearing jeans and a light blue t-shirt with the inscription, I'm hers because she deserves the best. In his pockets, investigators found American Airlines Junior pilot flight wings and a pack of cool filtered cigarettes. Investigators predicted an early arrest in the investigation and identified a potential suspect, although it is unclear what events followed. Anyone with information is asked to call the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation 1-800-TBI-FIND or Cumberland County Sheriff's Office at 931-484-6176. Case number five. Jane Doe, 1985. On April 3, 1985, passersby found the partial skeletal remains of an adolescent white female near an abandoned strip mine on Big Wheel Gap Road in Jellicoe, Tennessee. Aged between 10 and 14 years old, the remains were discovered at a garbage dump site. Only her skull and about 32 additional bones were found along with a pair of size 5 hiking boots, scraps of clothing, and a small necklace bracelet of buttons. Due to the state of the remains, her hair and eye color are unknown, as well as her height and weight. It is believed she had been dead one year to four years, placing her time of death from 1981 to 1984, but likely in 1983. Even though her age is below the average median, investigators suspect a link between this girl and the redhead murders, which are believed to have occurred primarily in the southern United States between the late 1970s and early 1990s. However, her death still remains undetermined. Forensic analysis suggests she was not from East Tennessee, but spent the first years of her life in Central Texas or Florida before moving to another part of the country, possibly the Midwest or Rocky Mountains. Anyone with information is asked to call the TBI at 1-800-TBI-FIND. Case number six, Jane Doe, 2003. On March 25th of 2003, surveyors found a female scattered skeletal remains in a drainage creek behind Alice's Bar at the intersection of North Wright Road and Cusick Road. The location is also near the Knoxville Airport in Alcoa, Tennessee. 
Investigators called the UT Forensic Anthropology Center to help in a search that recovered 39 bones, including her skull, within an 850-foot area along the creek. Some of the clothing associated with the remains suggested she was possibly affiliated with the healthcare field. Other items were traced to Chicago and Oaklawn, Illinois. Investigators were unable to determine a cause of death, but determined the woman had been dead at least eight months and up to four years. Estimated to be between the ages of 17 and 25, she stood from 5 foot to 5'10". Her weight, hair color, and eye color are undetermined. Investigators did find synthetic braids near her skull. Her teeth showed two unique characteristics. Two of her upper front teeth were missing prior to her death for several years, and her remaining upper front teeth showed extreme flaring to the point where they were sticking almost straight out. Her mandible was not recovered. A second visit to the scene in December of 2006 did yield additional recovery of remains. One theory produced is she may have been from further north and was a possible victim of a truck driver serial killer. Anyone with information is asked to call the Alcoa Police Department at 865-981-4111. Case 7, John Doe, 2003. On May 22, 2003, the body of an unidentified Hispanic male in his late teens to early 20s was found under a bridge in the Nancona Creek in Memphis. He was wearing a black short-sleeved starter-branded shirt with the letter Z on the front, brown corduroy pants with a red Bic lighter in the front pocket, and white Nike flight shoes with blue accents. His estimated height is around 5'1 to 5'3 with an estimated weight of 135 pounds. He had short black hair and two homemade tattoos. One tattoo was of a UL on the back of his left hand in the web area near the thumb. The second tattoo was the word Joe and some unidentifiable writing on his right forearm, palm side. He also had a healed fracture of the nose and a healing fracture to his big right toe. An anthropological assessment of his bones showed that he may have had poor nutrition or chronic sickness during his childhood and he may have been a migrant worker who grew up outside of the United States. Anyone with information is asked to call the Memphis Police Department Missing Persons Unit at 901-636-4479. Case 8, John Doe, 2012. On October 21, 2012, skeletal remains were found in a wooded area off Summer Avenue in Memphis, Tennessee, near the Lusahatchee River. The deceased was estimated to be a white male who was 5'6 and aged between 15 to 25 years old. The remains were completely skeletonized with one or more of the limbs missing and one or both hands missing. A duffel bag with personal items were found close to the remains but none of the personal items had any identifying characteristics. The deceased may have been homeless and living in the woods. Anyone with information is asked to call the Memphis Police Department Missing Persons Unit at 901-636-4479. Case number 9, Jane Doe, 2018. On September 8, 2018, an unidentified black female was found in the advanced stages of decomposition alongside the Sulphur Creek Road in Nashville, Tennessee. The deceased is estimated to be between the ages of 15 to 25 years old, with a height of around 5 foot to 5 5. She had on athletic attire, which included a black or dark colored half zip sweatshirt with a Vandy logo on the top left chest, black and gold leopard print sports bra, and black and gold patterned Vanderbilt University athletic pants. 
There were no physical signs of trauma on the body, and it is assumed that she was not hit or struck by a passing vehicle. An official cause of death has not been released, and there is not an available sketch of the Jane Doe. Anyone with information is asked to call Crime Stoppers at 615-742-7463. Case 10. John Doe, 2016. On February 21, 2016, an unidentified male was discovered in Bumpus Mills, Tennessee. The partially skeletonized remains were discovered on the banks of the Cumberland River. The deceased is estimated to be between the ages of 17 to 30 years old, 5'11", and around 115 pounds. The John Doe was unrecognizable due to the decomposition, but the clothing found on the body included a black shirt, blue jean pants, black belt, blue boxer shorts, two black socks, and one white green shoe. No additional information is listed in the NamUs database. Anyone with information is asked to call the Stewart County Sheriff's Office at 931-232-4053. Case 11. John Doe, 1988. The skeletal remains of a John Doe were found on January 26, 1988 in Nashville. The victim was a black male between the ages of 17 to 29, was 5 foot tall, and weighed 135 pounds. He was found at the corner of 6th and Mulberry Avenues. No additional recovery information or identifiable information of the victim is listed in the NamUs database. Anyone with additional information is asked to call the Tennessee and Davison County Medical Examiner Office at 615-743-1800. So our sources for these cases and for our definitions are from NamUs, the Doe Network, Quad Cities Missing Persons Network, Case Ravel, and Middle Tennessee Mysteries. I do want to note, we tried to go in order of the date. The last two, the John Doe of 2016 and John Doe of 1988, most all of these John and Jane Doe's that are considered juveniles, potentially, because there is a wide range, Mm -hmm. unless it's very identifiably a child, you can find additional information. It's basically the same information, but you can find additional information on multiple missing persons sites. Unfortunately, with John Doe 2016 and John Doe 1988, there is just nothing more than what we gave, which is disheartening. It's hard to go over unidentified persons because you don't have a lot of information. You don't know who they are. You don't know where they came from. You don't know why they were there. You don't always know what happened. Like, it's just, there's lots of unknowns. I can only tell you this is what we found. Doing Missing Mondays, it felt not fair to not include individuals who have been unclaimed and unidentified for so long. Mm -hmm. And you guys should get on the Name Us website namus.gov and look at the the missing people you can get on namus to look up missing persons unidentified persons uh you can even look the like bodies that have been unclaimed i'm not i haven't looked real deep in that because some of the pictures can be disturbing for some people so just be careful if you look at those but a lot of times you can look at the missing and unidentified same thing with the doe network so namus is www.namus.gov the doe network is www.donetwork.org if you can find, like on Facebook, there's groups, you know, the websleuths.com. Like, there's lots of sites. Well, because sometimes they have uh, age-enhanced photos of what they may look like if yes. they're missing people. That's true. Mm-hmm. So that may be helpful. It could be. 
So that's it for our first Missing Monday. Our next episode will be next Tuesday. That's going to be a regular episode. And then our next Missing Monday episode will be two weeks from today. And it'll be about a specific individual. Yes. At this time, we're looking at local missing persons. But if there's any, if there's a case that interests you, or if there is somebody in your area that you know that has gone missing and maybe word has died down and you want to push it back out, send us the name. We're more than happy to look it up. Eerieandabsurd at gmail.com. Oh, let's, let's do a little role reversal. So that's it for today's episode. And until next time. Remember, you could be the difference. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Until next time, fellow Absurdians. Remember, everything you've heard is true. Monsters are real. And the strangers in black are not a figment of your imagination. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. Do you have a story you want to share? Contact us at eerieandabsurd at gmail.com or visit our website at eerieandabsurd.com to submit a suggestion. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at eerie underscore absurd.